Hello. We are back for our third episode reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. We have read chapters one and two. We've read chapters three and four. And now we are going to read chapters five and six. I have been thoroughly enjoying the Talking ETV book club. I really need to get a bookmark. Okay, we did one, two, three, four. Yes, only on five and six. I'm gonna go to the store today and get me a bookmark. All right, <laughs> so good. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 5, Diagon Alley. Harry woke early the next morning. Although he could tell it was daylight, he kept his eyes shut tight. It was a dream, he told himself firmly. I dreamed a giant called Hagrid came to tell me I was going to a school for wizards. When I opened my eyes, I'll be at home in my cupboard. There was suddenly a loud tapping noise. And there's Aunt Petunia knocking on the door, Harry thought, his heart sinking. But he still didn't open his eyes. It had been such a good dream. Tap, tap, tap. All right, Harry mumbled. I'm getting up. He sat up and Hagrid's heavy coat fell off him. The hut was full of sunlight. The storm was over. Hagrid himself was asleep on the collapsed sofa, and there was an owl wrapping its claw in the window and a newspaper held in its beak. Harry scrambled to his feet, so happy he felt as though a large balloon was swelling inside him. He went straight to the window and jerked it open. The owl swooped in and dropped the newspaper on top of Hagrid, who didn't wake up. The owl then fluttered onto the floor and began to attack Hagrid's coat. Don't do that. Harry tried to wave the owl out of the way, but it snapped its beak fiercely at him and carried on savaging the coat. Hagrid, said Harry loudly. There's an owl. Pay him, Hagrid grunted into the sofa. <laughs> so they be paying these owls? I did not know that. I know that's right. I know that's right. I did not know they be paying these owls, okay? Because they should be compensated as such. What? He wants paying for delivering the paper. Look into the pockets. Hagrid's coat seemed to be made of nothing but pockets. Bunches of keys, slug pellets, balls of string, peppermint humbugs, tea bags. Finally, Harry pulled out a handful of strange-looking coins. Give him five nuts, said Hagrid sleepily. Nuts? The little bronze ones. Harry counted out five little bronze coins, and the owl held out his legs so Harry could put the money into a small leather pouch tied to it. Then he flew off through the open window. Hagrid yawned loudly, sat up, and stretched. Best off, best be off, Harry. Lots to do today. Gotta get up to London and buy all your stuff for school. Harry was turning over the wizard coins and looking at them. He had just thought of something that made him feel as though the happy balloon inside him got a puncture. Um, Hagrid? Hmm? Said Hagrid, who was pulling on his huge boots. I haven't got any money. And you heard Uncle Vernon last night. He won't pay for me to learn magic. Don't worry about that, said Hagrid, standing up and scratching his head. Do you think your parents didn't leave you anything? But if the house was destroyed, they didn't keep their gold in the house, boy. Nah, first stop is Gringotts, Wizard's Bank. Have a sausage, they're not bad cold, and I will go and say a bit of your birthday cake neither. Wizards have banks? Just the one, Gringotts, 
run by goblins. Harry dropped the bit of sausage he was holding. Goblins? Yeah, so you'd be mad to try to rob it. I'll tell you that. Never mess with goblins, Harry. Gringotts is the safest place in the world for anything you want to keep safe, except maybe Hogwarts. As a matter of fact, I got to visit Gringotts anyway, for Dumbledore, Hogwarts business. Hagrid drew himself up proudly. He usually gets me to do important stuff for him, fetching you, getting things for Gringotts. Knows he can trust me, see? Got everything? Come on, then. Harry followed Hagrid out onto the rock. The sky was quite clear now and seemed gleam in the sunlight. The boat Uncle Vernon had hired was still there, with a lot of water in the bottom after the storm. How did you get here? Harry asked, looking around for another boat. Flu, said Hagrid. Flu? Yeah, but we'll get back in this. Not supposed to use magic now, I've got you. They settled down in the boat, Harry still staring at Hagrid, trying to imagine him flying. Seems a shame to row, though, said Hagrid, giving Harry another of his sideways looks. If I was sure, er... Speed things up a bit, would you mind not mentioning it at Hogwarts? Of course not, said Harry, eager to see more maggot, m- maggot, e- <laughs> eager to see more magic. Hagrid pulled out the pink umbrella again, tapped it twice on the side of the boat, and they sped off toward land. Why would you mad? Who would be mad to try to rob Gringotts? Harry asked. Spells, enchantments, said Hagrid, unfolding his newspaper as he spoke. They say there's dragons guarding the high security vaults, and then you gotta find your way. Gringotts in hundreds of miles under London, see, deep under the ground. You die of hunger trying to get out, even if you manage to get your hands on some of that. Harry sat and thought about this while Haggard read the newspaper, The Daily Prophet. Harry had learned from Uncle Vernon that people liked to be left alone while they did this, but it was very difficult. He never had so many questions in his life. Ministry of Magic, messing up things as usual, Haggard muttered, turning the page. There's a Ministry of Magic? Harry asked. Before he could stop himself, of course, said Hagrid. They wanted Dumbledore for minister, of course, but he'd never leave Hogwarts. So old Cornelius Fudge got the job, bungler if there ever was one. So he pelts Dumbledore with owls every morning, asking for advice. But what does the Ministry of Magic do? Well, the main job is to keep it from the muggles that they're still witching and wizards up and down the country. Why? Why? Blimey. Harry, everyone be wanting magic solutions to their problems. Nah, we're best left alone. At this moment, the boat bumped gently into the harbor wall. Hagrid folded up his newspaper, and they clambered up the steps onto the street. Passerby stared a lot at Hagrid. (laughs) Hagrid is literally like, what, 7'6"? Like, I'm sure people were staring at him. Passerby stared a lot at Hagrid as they walked through the little town to the station. Harry couldn't blame them. Not only was Hagrid twice as tall as anyone else, he kept pointing at perfectly ordinary things like parking meters and saying loudly, See that, Harry? Things these muggles dream up, eh? Hagrid, said Harry, panting a bit as he ran to keep up. Did you say there are dragons at Gringotts? Well, so they say, said Hagrid. Crikey, I'd like a dragon. You'd like one? Wanted one ever since I was a kid. Here we go. They had reached the station. There was a train to London in five minutes' time. Hagrid, who didn't understand muggle money, as he called it, gave the bills to Harry so he could buy their tickets. People stared more than ever on the train. Hagrid took up two seats and sat knitting what looked like a carry canary yellow citrus tent. <laughs> Still got your letter, Harry? He asked as he counted stitches. Harry took the parchment envelope out of his pocket. Good, said Hagrid. 
There's a list of everything you need. Harry unfolded a second piece of paper he hadn't noticed the night before and read, Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Uniform. First-year students will require three sets of plain work robes, black. One plain pointed black hat for day wear. One pair of protective gloves, dragon hide or similar. One winter cloak, black silver fastenings. Please note that all pupils' clothes should carry name tags. Course books. All students should have a copy of each of the following. The Standard Book of Spells, Grade 1, by Miranda Goshawk. A History of Magic by Bathilda Bagshot. Magical Theory by Albert Waffling. A Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration by Emmerich Switch. 1,000 Magical Herbs and Fungi by Felidia Spore. Magical Draughts and Potions by Arsenius Jigger. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Newt's Commander. The Dark Forces, A Guide to Self-Protection by Quentin Tremble. Other Equipment. One Wand. One Cauldron. Pewter, standard size two, one set glass or crystal files, one telescope, one set brass scales. Students may also bring an owl or a cat or a toad. See me, y'all know I'm definitely giving cat. That's definitely what I will be giving. Parents are reminded that first years are not allowed their own broomsticks. Can we buy all this in London? Harry wondered aloud. If you know where to go, said Hagrid. Harry had never been to London before. Although Hagrid seemed to know where he was going, he was obviously not used to getting there in an ordinary way. He got stuck in the ticket barrier on the underground and complained loudly that the seats were too small and the trains were too slow. I don't know how the muggles manage without magic, he said, as they climbed a broken down escalator that led to a bustling road line with shops. Hagrid was so huge that he parted the crowd easily. All Harry had to do was keep close behind him. They passed bookshops and music stores, hamburger restaurants and cinemas, but nowhere that looked as if it could sell you a magic wand. This was just an ordinary street full of ordinary people. Could there really be piles of wizard gold buried miles beneath them? Were there really shops that sold spell books and broomsticks? Might, not all s- Might this not all be some huge joke that the Dursleys had cooked up? If Harry had known the Dursleys had no sense of humor, he might have thought so. Yet somehow, even though everything Hagrid had told him so far was unbelievable, Harry couldn't help but trusting him. This is it, said Hagrid, coming to a halt. The Leaky Cauldron. It's a famous place. It was a tiny, grubby-looking pub. If Hagrid hadn't pointed it out, Harry wouldn't have noticed it was there. The people hurrying by didn't glance at it. Their eyes slid from the big bookshop on one side of the record shop on the other as if they couldn't see the Leaky Cauldron at all. In fact, Harry had the most peculiar feeling that only he and Hagrid could see it. Before he could mention this, Hagrid had steered him inside. For a famous place, it was very dark and shabby. A few old women were sitting in a corner drinking tiny glasses of sherry. One of them was smoking a long pipe. A little man in a top hat was talking to the old bartender, who was quite bald and looked like a toothless walnut. (laughs) That might be one of the greatest descriptions of a a person I have ever heard in my life. A toothless walnut? Wow. Wow. The low buzz of chatter stopped when they walked in. Everyone seemed to know Hagrid. They waved and smiled at him, and the bartender reached for a glass, saying, The usual, Hagrid? Can't, Tom. I'm on Hogwarts business, said Hagrid, clapping his great hand on Harry's shoulder and making Harry's knees buckle. Good Lord, said the bartender, peering at Harry. Is this? Can this be? The leaky cauldron had suddenly gone completely still and silent. 
Bless my soul, whispered the old bartender. Harry Potter. What an honor. He buried out from behind he hurried out from behind the bar, rushed toward Harry, and seized his hand, tears in his eyes. Welcome back, Mr. Potter. Welcome back. Harry didn't know what to say. Everyone was looking at him. The old woman with the pipe was puffing on it without realizing it had gone out. Haggard was beaming. Then there was a great scraping of chairs, and the next moment, Harry found himself shaking hands with everyone in the leaky cauldron. Doris Crockford, Mr. Potter. Can't believe I'm meeting you at last. So proud, Mr. Potter. I'm just so proud. Always wanted to shake your hand. I'm all of a flutter. Delighted, Mr. Potter. Just can't tell you. Diggle's the name. Delatus Diggle. I've seen you before, said Harry, as Delatus Diggle's top hat fell off in excitement. You bowed to me once in the shop. He remembers, cried Delatus Diggle, looking around at everyone. Did you hear that? He remembers me. Harry shook hands again and again. Doris Crockford kept coming back for more. A pale young man made his way forward very nervously. One of his eyes was twitching. Professor Quirrell, said Hagrid. Harry, Professional Quirrell, professional. Harry, Professor Quirrell will be one of your teachers at Hogwarts. Potter, stammered Professor Quirrell, grasping Harry's hand. Can't tell you how pleased I am to meet you. What sort of magic do you teach, Professor Quirrell? Defense against the, the dark arts, muttered Professor Quirrell as he'd rather not think about it. No, 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 not that you need it, eh, Potter? He laughed nervously. You'll be getting all your equipment, I suppose. I've got to pick up a new book on vampires myself. He looked terrified at the very thought, but the others wouldn't let Professor Quirrell keep Harry to himself. It took almost ten minutes to get away from them all. At last, Hagrid managed to make himself over to the babble. Must get on. Lots to buy. Come on, Harry. Doris Crockford shook Harry's hand one last time, and Hagrid led them through the bar out into a small, walled courtyard where there was nothing but a trash can and a few weeds. Hagrid, grinned at Harry, told you, didn't I? Told you you was famous. Even Professor Crewe was trembling to meet you. Mind you, he's usually trembling. Is he always that nervous? Oh, yeah, poor bloke. Brilliant mind. He was fine while he was studying out of books, but when he took a year off to get some first-hand experience, they say he met vampires in the Black Forest, and there was a nasty bit of trouble with a hag. Never been the same since. Scared of the students. Scared of his own subject. Now where's me umbrella? Vampires? Hags? Harry's head was swimming. Hagrid, meanwhile, was counting bricks in the wall above the trash can. Three up, two across, he muttered. Right? Stand back, Harry. He tapped the wall three times with the point of his umbrella. The brick, had, the brick he had touched quivered and it wriggled in the middle. A small hole appeared. It grew wider and wider. A second later, they were facing an archway large enough even for Hagrid. An archway onto a cobbled street that twisted and turned out of sight. Welcome, said Hagrid, to Diagon Alley. He grinned at Harry's amazement. They stepped through the archway, Harry looking quickly over his shoulder and saw the archway shrink instantly back into a solid wall. The sun shone brightly on a stack of cauldrons outside the nearest shop. Cauldrons, all sizes, copper, brass, pewter, silver, self-stirring, collapsible, said a sign hanging over them. Yeah, you'll be needing one, said Hagrid, but we ought to get your money first. Harry wished he had about eight more eyes. He turned his head in every direction as they walked up the street, trying to look at everything at once. The shops, the things outside them, the people doing their shopping, a plump woman outside an apothecary was shaking her head as they passed, saying, 
Dragon liver, 16 sickles an ounce. They're mad. A low, soft hooting came from a dark shop with a sign saying, Elops Al Aporium, Tawny, Streech, Barn, Brown, and Snowy. Several boys of about Harry's age had their noses pressed against a window with boomsticks in it. Look, Harry heard one of them say, the new number's 2,000, fastest ever. There were shops selling robes, shops selling telescopes, and strange silver instruments Harry had never seen before. Windows stacked with barrels of bat spleens and eels' eyes, tottering piles of spell books, quills, and rolls of parchment, potion bottles, globes of the moon. Gringotts, said Hagrid. They had reached a snowy white building that towered over the other little shops, standing beside its burnished bronze doors, wearing a uniform of scarlet and gold, was, yeah, that's a goblin, said Hagrid quietly as they walked up the white stone steps toward him. The goblin was about a head shorter than Harry. He had a swarthy, clever face, a pointed beard, and Harry noticed very long fingers and feet. He bowed as they walked inside. Now they were facing a second pair of doors, silver this time, with words engraved upon them. Enter, stranger, but take heed of what awaits of the sin of greed. For those who take, but do not earn, must pay most dearly in their turn. So if you seek beneath our floors a treasure that was never yours, thief, you have been warned. Beware of finding more than treasure there. Ooh, that's a bar. Who wrote that? I mean, I'm pretty sure it was Miss Rowling, but like that was a bar. Who in this book wrote that? I love that. Like I said, you matter try and rob it, said Hagrid. A pair of goblins bowed to them through a pair of goblins bowed them through the silver doors and they were in a vast marble hall. About a hundred more goblins were sitting on high stools behind a long counter, scribbling in large ledgers, weighing coins and brass scales, examining precious stones through their eyeglasses. There were too many doors to count leading off the hall, and yet more goblins were showing people in and out of these. Hagrid and Harry made for the counter. Morning, said Hagrid to a free goblin. We come to take money out of Mr. Potter's safe. You have his keys, uh... Got it here somewhere, said Hagrid. He started emptying his pockets out onto the counter, scattering a handful of moldy dog biscuits over the goblin's book of numbers. The goblin wrinkled his nose. Harry watched the goblin on their right weighing a pile of rubies as big as glowing coals. Got it, said Hagrid at last, holding up a tiny golden key. The goblin looked at it closely. That seems to be an order. And I've also gotten a letter from Professor Dumbledore, said Hagrid importantly, throwing out his chest. It's about, you know what, in Vault 713. The goblin read the letter carefully. Very well, he said, handing it back to Hagrid. I will have someone take you down to both vaults. Griphook! Griphook was yet another goblin. Once once Hagrid had crammed all the dog biscuits back inside his pockets, when I tell you Hagrid's pockets are the definition of the bottom of an old lady's purse, like it literally never ends. It never ends. He and Harry followed the grip book toward one of the doors leading off the hall. What's the, you know what, in Vault 713, Harry asked. Can't tell you that, said Hagrid mysteriously. Very secret Hogwarts business. Dumbledore's trusting me. More than my job's worth to tell you that. Grip hook held the door open for them. Harry, who had expected more marble, was surprised. There were in a narrow stone passageway lit with flaming torches. It sloped steeply down towards the little railway tracks on the floor. Griphook whistled and a small cart came hurtling up the tracks toward them. They climbed in, Hagrid with some difficulty, and were off. 
As first they hurtled through a maze of twisted passages. Harry tried to remember left, right, right, left, middle fork, right, left, but it was impossible. The rattling cart seemed to know its own way because Grippa wasn't steering. Harry's eyes stung as the cold air rushed past them, but he kept them wide open. Once he thought he saw a burst of fire at the end of a passage and twisted around to see if it was a dragon, but too late, they plunged even deeper, passing an underground lake where huge stalactites and stalagmites grew from the ceiling and the floor. Those are crystals that they're talking about. I wonder what kind they were. That's They didn't see, they didn't do all this in the movie, when they, in, in the first movie when they went to the bank. Oh, this would have been so good to see. I never know, Harry called to Hagrid over the noise of the cart. What's the difference between a stalagmite and a stalactite? Stalagmites got an M in it, said Hagrid. And don't ask me questions just now. I think I'm going to be sick. Hagrid is too big to be getting motion sick because if he throw up, he going to drown y'all in that little ass cart. He did look very green. And when the cart stopped at the last beside a small door in the passage wall, Hagrid got out and had to learn, lean against the wall to stop his knees from trembling. Grip Hook unlocked the door, and a lot of green smoke came billowing out, and as it cleared, Harry gasped. Inside were mounds of gold coins, columns of silver, heaps of little bronze nuts. All yours, smiled Hagrid. All Harry's? It was incredible. The Dursleys couldn't have known about this, or they've had it from him faster than the blinking. How often had they complained how much Harry cost them to keep? And all the time he had been a small fortune belonging to him, buried deep under London. Hagrid helped Harry pile some of it into a bag. The gold ones are galleons, he explained. 17 silver sickles to a galleon and 29 nuts to a sickle. It's easy enough, right? That should be enough for a couple of terms. We'll keep the rest safe for you. He turned to Grip Hook. Vault 713 now, please. And can we go more slowly? One speed only, said Grip Hook. They were going even deeper now and gathering speed. The air became colder and colder as they hurled right around tight corners. They went rattling over an underground ravine, and Harry leaned over the side to try to see what was down at the dark bottom. But Hagrid groaned and pulled him back by the scruff of his neck. Vault 713 had no keyhole. Stand back, said Grip Hook importantly. He stroked the door gently with one of his long fingers, and it simply melted away. If anyone but a green god's goblin tried that, they'd be sucked through the door and trapped in there, said Grip Hook. Ooh, damn, see, wait, let me read that in that voice I was doing. If anyone but a green god's goblin tried that, they'd be sucked through the door and trapped in there, said Grip Hook. How often do you check to see if anyone's inside, Harry asked. About once every ten years said Grip Hook with a rather nasty grin. Something really extraordinary had to be inside this top-secret security vault. Harry was sure, and he leaned forward eagerly, expecting to see fabulous jewels at the very least. But at first he thought it was empty. Then he noticed a grubby little package wrapped up in brown paper lying on the floor. Hagrid picked it up and tucked it deep inside his coat. Harry longed to know what it was, but knew better than to ask. Come on, back into this infernal cart. And don't talk to me on the way back. It's best if I keep me mouth shut, said Hagrid. One wild card ride later, they stood blinking in the sunlight outside Gringotts. Harry didn't know where to run first now that he had a bag full of money. He didn't have to know how many galleons there were to a pound or that he was holding more money than he'd had his whole life. More money than even Dudley ever had. Might as well get your uniform, said Hagrid, nodding toward Madame Malkin's robes for all occasions. 
Listen, Harry, would you mind if I slipped off for a pick-me-up in the leaky cauldron? I hate them Green God's carts. First of all, not Hagrid trying to go get him a little drink or something. What Hagrid trying to go get from the leaky cauldron? That ain't one of them hamburger shops that got something to eat Tell my little pick-me-up. He did still look a bit sick, so Harry entered Madame Malkin's shop alone, feeling nervous. Madame Malkin was a squat, smiling witch dressed in all mauve. Hogwarts, dear, she asked when Harry started to speak. Got the lot here, another young man being fitted up just now, in fact. In the back of the shop, a boy with a pale, pointed face was standing on a footstool while a second witch pinned up his long black robes. Madame Malkin stood Harry on a stool next to him, slipped a long robe over his head, and began to pin it to the right length. Hello, said the boy. Hogwarts, too? Yes, said Harry. My father's next door buying my books and mother's up the street looking at wands, said the boy. He had a bored, drawing voice. Then I'm going to drag them off to look at racing brooms. I don't see why first years can't have their own. I think I'll, I think I'll bully father into getting me one and I'll smuggle it in somehow. Harry was strongly reminded of Dudley. Have you not got your own broom? The boy went on. No, said Harry. Play Quidditch at all? No, Harry said again, wondering what on earth Quidditch could be. I do. Father said it's a crime if I'm not picked to play for my house, and I must say I agree. Know what my house you'll be in yet? First of all, y'all, is this Malfoy? Because... Hmm. We'll see. No, said Harry, feeling more stupid by the minute. Well, no one really knows until they get here, do they? But I know I'll be in Slytherin. <laughs> see, this gotta be Malfoy. All of our families have been in. Imagine being in Hufflepuff. I think I'd leave, wouldn't you? Mm, said Harry, wishing he could say something a bit more interesting. I say, look at that man, said the boy suddenly, nodding toward the front window. Hagrid was standing there, grinning at Harry and pointing at two large ice creams to show he couldn't come in. That's Hagrid, said Harry, pleased to know something the boy didn't. He works at Hogwarts. Oh, said the boy. I've heard of him. He's a sort of servant, isn't he? He's the gamekeeper, said Harry. He was liking the boy less and less every second. Yes, exactly. I heard he's sort of a savage. Lives in the huts on the school grounds, and every now and then he gets drunk, tries to do magic, and ends up setting fire to his bed. I think he's brilliant, said Harry coldly. Do you, said the boy with a slight sneer. Why is he with you? Where are your parents? They're dead, said Harry shortly. He didn't feel much like going on the matter with this boy. Oh, sorry, said the other, not sounding sorry at all. But they were our kind, weren't they? They were a witch and wizard, if that's what you mean. I really don't think they should let others sort in, do you? They're just not the same. They'd never been brought up to know our ways. Some of them have never even heard of Hogwarts until they get the letter. Imagine. I think they should keep it all in the old wizarding families. What's your surname, anyway? But before Harry could answer, Madame Malkin said, That's you done, my dear, said Harry, not sorry for an excuse to stop talking to the boy. Hop down from the footstool. Well, I'll see you at Hogwarts, I suppose, said the drawing boy. Harry was rather quiet as he ate the ice cream Hagrid had brought him. Chocolate and raspberry with chopped nuts. Ooh, I should make that enough because I do know how to make ice cream and I specifically make non-dairy ice cream because I'm not about to tear up my stomach to eat some ice cream. Ooh, let me write that down. Make a note in my phone. Ooh, chocolate and raspberry with chopped nuts. I love a nut and some ice cream. Chocolate 
and raspberry with chopped nuts. Literally just made a note in my phone. Ooh, that sounds good. That little school shopping snack. I love that. I used to love going school supply shopping. What's up, said Hagrid. Nothing, Harry lied. They stopped to buy parchment and quills. Harry cheered up a bit when he found a bottle of ink that changed color as you wrote. And when they had left the shop, he said, Hagrid, what's Quidditch? Blimey, Harry. I keep forgetting how little you know about not knowing about Quidditch. Don't make me feel worse, said Harry. He told Hagrid about the pale boy and Madame Malkins. And he said people from muggle families shouldn't even be allowed in. You're not from a muggle family. If he'd known who you were, he's grown up knowing your name if his parents are wizarding folk. You saw what everyone in the leaky cauldron was like when they saw you. Anyway, what does he know about it? Some of the best I ever saw was the only ones with magic in them. Line of muggles. Look at your mom. Look what she in, look what she had for her sister. So what is Quidditch? It's our sport, wizard sport. It's like like soccer in the muggle world. Everyone follows Quidditch. Played it up in the air on broomsticks. And there's four balls. Sort of hard to explain the rules. And what are Slytherin and Hufflepuff? Schoolhouses. There's four. Everyone says Hufflepuff are a lot of duffers. But I bet I'm in Hufflepuff said Harry gloomily. Better Hufflepuff than, better Hufflepuff, that is a tongue twister. Better Hufflepuff than Slytherin, said Hagrid darkly. There's not a single witch or wizard who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin. You know who was one, but sorry, you know who was at Hogwarts? Years and years ago, ha said Hagrid. They bought Harry school books in a shop called Flourish and Blots where the shelves were stacked to the ceiling with books as large as paving stones bound in leather. Books the size of postage stamps and covers of silk. Books full of peculiar symbols and a few books with nothing in them at all. Even Dudley, who never read anything, would have been wild to get his hands on some of these. Hagrid almost had to drag Harry away from curses and counter curses. Bewitch your friends and befuddle your enemies with the latest revenges. Hair loss, jelly legs, tongue tying, and much, much more. By Professor Vindicus. Vindicus. There we go. Vindicus. Vindictus by Professor Vindictus Viridian. <laughs> I was trying to find out how to curse Dudley. I'm not saying that's not a good idea, but you're not to use magic in the muggle world except in very special circumstances, said Hagrid. In any way you could work them off them curses yet. Work any of them curses yet. You need a lot more studying before you get to that level. Harry wouldn't let Harry buy a single gold cauldron either. It says pewter on your list. And they got a nice set of scales for weighing potion ingredients and collapsible brass telescope. Then they visited the apothecary, which was fascinating enough to make up for its horrible smell, a mixture of bad eggs and rotted cabbages. Barrels of slimy stuff stood on the floor, jars of herbs, dried roots, and bright powders lined the walls. Bundles of feathers, strings of fangs, and snarled claws hung from the ceiling. While Hagrid asked the man behind the counter for a supply of some basic potion ingredients for Harry, Harry himself examined silver unicorn horns at 21 galleons each in minuscule, glittery black beetle eyes, five nuts a scoop. Outside the apothecary, Hagrid checked Harry's list again. Just your wander left. Oh yeah, I still haven't gotten your birthday present. Harry felt himself go red. You don't have to. I know I don't have to. Tell you what, I'll get your animal. Not a toad. Toads went out of fashion years ago, but you'd laugh at 
and I don't like cats. They make me sneeze. I'll get your now. All the kids want owls. They're dead useful. Carry your mail and everything. 20 minutes later, they left Ilope's Owl Emporium, which had been dark, full of rustling and flickering jewel-bright eyes. Harry now carried a large cage that had a beautiful snowy owl, fast asleep with her head under her wing. He couldn't stop stammering his thanks, sounding just like Professor Quirrell. Don't mention it, said Hagrid gruffly. Don't expect you had a lot of presents from the Dursleys. Just Ollivander's left now. Only a few plays for wands. Ollivander's, and you gotta have the best wand. A magic wand. This was what Harry had really been looking forward to. The last shop was narrow and shabby. Peeling gold letters over the door read Ollivander's. Makers of fine wands since 382 B.C. A single wand lay on a faded purple cushion in the dusty window. A tinkling bell rang somewhere in the depths of the shop as they stepped inside. It was a tiny place, except empty for a single spindly chair that Hagrid sat on in wait. Harry felt strangely as though he'd entered a very strict library. He swallowed a lot of new questions that had just occurred to him and looked instead at the thousands of narrow boxes piled neatly right up to the ceiling. For some reason, the back of his neck prickled. The very dust and silence in here seemed to tingle with some secret magic. Good afternoon, said a soft voice. Harry jumped. Haggard must have jumped too because there was a loud crunching noise and he got quickly off the spindly chair. An old man was standing before them, his wide, pale eyes shining like moons through the gloom of the shop. Hello, said Harry awkwardly. Ah, yes, said the man. Yes, yes, I thought I'd be seeing you soon, Harry Potter. It wasn't a question. You have your mother's eyes. It seems only yesterday she was in here herself buying her first wand. Ten and a quarter inches long, swishy, made of willow. Nice wand for charm work. Mr. Ollivander moved closer to Harry. Harry wished he would blink. Those silvery eyes were creepy. Were a bit creepy. Your father, on the other hand, favored a mahogany wand. Eleven inches. Pliable. A little more power and excellent for transfiguration. Well, I say your father favored. It's really the wand that uses the wizard, of course. Mr. Ollivander had come so close that he and Harry were almost nose to nose. Harry could see himself reflected in those misty eyes. And that's where Mr. Ollivander touched the lightning scar on Harry's forehead with a long white finger. I'm sorry to say, I sold the wand that did that, he said softly. Thirteen and a half inches. You, Powerful wand. Very powerful. And in the wrong hands? Well, if I had known what wand that was going the world to do... He shook his head and then, to Harry's relief, spotted Hagrid. Rubius! Rubius Hagrid! How nice to see you again! Oak? Sixteen inches? Rather bendy, wasn't it? It was, sir. Yes, said Hagrid. Good wand, that one. But I suppose they snapped it in half when you got expelled? Said Mr. Ollivander, suddenly stern. Er, yeah. They did, yes, said Hagrid, shuffling his feet. I've still got the pieces, though, he added brightly. But you don't use them? said Mr. Ollivander sharply. Oh, no, sir, said Hagrid quickly. Quickly, Harry noticed he gripped his pink umbrella very tightly as he spoke. So, like, obviously, he used his wand and turned it into his umbrella. Hmm, said Mr. Ollivander, giving Hagrid a piercing look. Well, now, Mr. Porter, let me see. Harry pulled a long tape measure with silver markings out of his pocket. I said Harry, let's say he. He pulled a long tape measure with silver markings out of his pocket. Which is your wand arm? Well, I'm right-handed, said Harry. Hold out your arm. That's it. He measured Harry from shoulder to finger, then wrist to elbow, shoulder to floor, knee to armpit, 
and round his head. As he measured, he said, Every olivander wand has a core of powerful magical substance, Mr. Potter. We use unicorn hairs, phoenix tail feathers, and the heartstrings of dragons. No two olivander wands are the same, just as no two unicorns, dragons, or phoenixes are quite the same. And of course, you will never get such good results with another wizard's wand. Harry suddenly realized that the tape measure, which was measuring between his nostrils, was doing this on its own. <laughs> Mr. Ollivander was flitting around the shelves, taking down boxes. That will do, he said, and the tape measure crumpled into a heap on the floor. Right then, Mr. Potter, try this one. Beechwood and Dragon Heart Strength. Nine inches, nice and flexible. Just take it and give it a wave. Harry took the wand and, feeling foolish, waved it around a bit. But Mr. Ollivander snatched it out of his hand almost at once. Maple and phoenix feather? Seven inches? Quite whippy. Try. Harry tried, but he had hardly raised the wand when it too was snatched back by Mr. Ollivander. No, no. Here. Ebony and unicorn hair, eight and a half inches, springy. Go on, go on, try it out. Harry tried and tried. He had no idea what Mr. Ollivander was waiting for. The pile of tried wands was mounting higher and higher on the spindly chair. But the more wands Mr. Ollivander pulled from the shelves, the happier he seemed to become. Tricky customer, eh? Not to worry, we'll find the perfect match here somewhere. I wonder. Now, yes. Why not? Usual combination. Holly and Phoenix Feather, 11 inches, nice and supple. Harry took the wand. He felt a sudden warmth in his fingers. He raised the wand above his head brought it swishing down the dusty air in a stream of red and gold sparks sharp from the end of it like a firework, throwing dancing spots of light onto the walls. Hagrid whooped and clapped and Mr. Ollivander cried, Oh, bravo! Yes, indeed. <laughs> very good. Well, well, well. How curious. How very curious. He put Harry's wand back into its box and wrapped it in brown paper, still muttering, Curious. Curious. Sorry, said Harry, but what's curious? Mr. Ollivander fixed Harry with his pale stare. I remember every wand I've ever sold, Mr. Potter. Every single wand. It so happens that the phoenix whose tail feather is in your wand gave another feather, just one other. It is very curious indeed that you should be destined for this one when its brother, why its brother gave you that scar. Harry swallowed. Yes, 13 and a half inches, you. Curious and indeed how these things happen. The wand chooses the wizard. Remember, I think we must expect great things from you, Mr. Potter. After all, he who must not be named did great things. Terrible, yes, but great. Harry shivered. He wasn't sure he liked Mr. Ollivander too much. He paid seven gold galleons for his wand, and Mr. Ollivander bought them from the shop. The late afternoon sun hung low in the sky as Harry and Hagrid made their way back down Diagon Alley. Back through the wall, back through the leaky cauldron, now empty. Harry didn't speak at all as they walked down the road. He didn't even notice how much people were gawking at them on the underground. Laden as they were, with all their funny-shaped packages, with the snowy owl asleep in its cage on Harry's lap, up another escalator, out on the Paddington station, Harry only realized where they were when Hagrid tapped him on the shoulder. Got time for a bite to eat before a train leaves, he said. He bought Harry a hamburger, and they sat down on plastic seats to eat them. Harry kept looking around. Everything looked so strange somehow. You all right, Harry? You're very quiet, said Hagrid. Harry wasn't sure he could explain, but he just had the best birthday of his life. And yet, he chewed his hamburgers trying to find the words. Everyone thinks I'm special, he said at last. All those people in the leaky cauldron, Professor Krill, 
Mr. Ollivander, but I don't know anything about magic at all. How can they expect great things? I'm famous and I can't even remember what I'm famous for. I don't know what happened when, bo sorry, I mean the night my parents died. Hagrid leaned across the table behind the wild beard and eyebrows he wore, a very kind smile. Don't worry, Harry. You'll learn fast enough. Everyone starts at the beginning at Hogwarts. You'll be just fine. Just be yourself. I know it's hard. You've been singled out, and that is always hard. But you'll have a great time at Hogwarts. I did. Still do, as a matter of fact. Hagrid helped Harry onto the train, and they would take him back to the Dursleys. They handed him an, then handed him an envelope. Your ticket for Hogwarts, he said. First of September, King's Cross. It's all on your ticket. Any problems with the Dursleys? Send me a letter with your owl. She'll know where to find me. See you soon, Harry. The train pulled off out of the station. Harry wanted to watch Hagrid until he was out of sight. He rose in his seat and pressed his nose against the window. But he blinked and Hagrid had gone. And that was chapter five of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. These um, chapters are getting a little bit long. I think I'm going to save six for a separate video. Let me see. How long is this? Mm. No, we can knock this out real quick. Let's go and just do chapter six. I was trying to keep these videos like kind of short, but I'm, I'm already in a flow. Let's just do two. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, chapter six. The journey from platform nine and three quarters quarters look they be nine and three quarters the journey from platform nine and three quarters harry's last month with the dursley <laughs> harry's last month with the dursleys wasn't fun true dudley was now so scared of harry he wouldn't stay in the same room while aunt petunia and uncle vernon didn't shut harry in his cupboard force him to do anything or shout at him in fact they didn't speak to him at all half terrified half furious they acted as though any chair with harry in it was empty Although this was an improvement in many ways, it did become a bit depressing for a while. Harry kept to his room with his new owl for company. He had decided to call her Hedwig, a name he had found in the history of magic. His school books were very interesting. He lay on his bed reading late night into the night, reading late into the night, Hedwig swooping in and out of the window as she pleased. It was lucky that Aunt Petunia didn't come in to vacuum anymore because Hedwig kept bringing back dead mice. <laughs> Every night before he went to sleep, Harry ticked off another day on a piece of paper he had pinned to the wall, counting down to September the 1st. On the last day of August, he thought he'd better speak to his aunt and uncle about getting to King's Cross Station the next day, so he went down to the living room where they were watching a quiz show on television. He cleared his throat to let them know he was there, <clears throat> and Dudley screamed and ran from the room. Uh, Uncle Vernon, Uncle Vernon grunted to show he was listening. Um, I need to be at King's Cross tomorrow to go to Hogwarts. Uncle Vernon grunted again. Would it be all right if you gave me a lift? Grunt. Harry supposed that meant yes. Thank you. He was about to go back upstairs when Uncle Vernon actually spoke. Funny way to get to a wizard school. The train, magic carpets, all got punctures, have they? Harry didn't say anything. Where is the school anyway? I don't know, said Harry, realizing this for the first time. He pulled the ticket Hagrid had given him out of his pocket. I'll just take the train from platform nine and three quarters at 11 o'clock, he read. His aunt and uncle stared. Platform what? Nine and three quarters. Don't talk rubbish, said Uncle Vernon. There is no platform nine and three quarters. It's on my ticket. Barking, said Uncle Vernon. Howling mad, a lot of them. You'll see. 
You just wait. All right, we'll take you to King's Cross. We're going up to London tomorrow anyway, or I wouldn't bother. Why are you going to London, Harry asked, trying to keep things friendly. Taking Dudley to the hospital, growled Uncle Vernon. Got to have that ruddy tail removed before he goes to smeltings. Oh, my God. Hagrid left that boy with that tail all this time. <laughs> I am so weak. Dudley still got that damn tail. Harry woke at 5 o'clock the next morning, and he was too excited and nervous to go back to sleep. He got up and pulled on his jeans because he didn't walk into the station. Wait. He got up and pulled on his jeans because he didn't want to walk into the station in his wizard's robe. He changed on the train. He checked his Hogwarts list yet again to make sure he had everything he needed, saw that Hedgewig was shut safely in her cage, and then paced the room, waiting for the Dursleys to get up. Two hours later, Harry's huge, heavy trunk had been loaded into the Dursleys' car. Aunt Petunia had talked to Dudley into sitting next to Harry, and they had set off. They reached King's Cross at half past ten, Uncle Vernon dumped Harry's trunk onto a cart and wheeled it into the station for him. Harry thought this was strangely kind until Uncle Vernon stopped dead, facing the platforms with a nasty grin on his face. Well, there you are, boy. Platform 9, platform 10. Your platform should be somewhere in the middle. But they don't seem to have built it yet, do they? He was quite right, of course. There was a big plastic number 9 over one of the platforms and a big plastic number 10 over the one next to it. And in the middle, nothing at all. Have a good term, said Uncle Vernon, with an even nastier smile. He left without another word. Harry turned and saw the Dursleys drive away. All three of them were laughing. Harry's mouth went rather dry. What on earth was he going to do? He was starting to attract a lot of funny looks because of Hedwig. He'd have to ask someone. He stopped a passing guard, but he didn't dare mention Platform 9 and 3 quarters. The guard had never heard of Hogwarts, and when Harry couldn't even tell him what part of the country was in, he started to get annoyed as though Harry was being stupid on purpose. Getting desperate, Harry asked for the train that left at 11 o'clock, but the guard said there wasn't one. In the end, the guard strolled away, muttering about time wasters. Harry was now trying hard not to panic. According to the large clock over the arrivals board, he had 10 minutes left to get on the train to Hogwarts, and he had no idea how to do it. He was stranded in the middle of a station with a trunk he could hardly lift and a pocket full of wizard money and a large owl. Hagrid must have forgotten to tell him something you need to do like tapping the third brick on the left, like to get into Diagon Alley. He wondered if he should get out his wand and start tapping the tickets inspector stand between platforms 9 and 10. And at that moment, a group of people passed just behind him, and he caught a few words of what they were saying. Packed with muggles, of course. Oh, my God, I hope this is Ron's family. Harry swung around. The speaker was a plump woman who was talking to four boys, all with flaming red hair. Each of them was pushing a trunk like Harry's in front of them, and they had an owl, heart hammering. Harry pushed his cart after them. They stopped, and so did he, just near enough to hear what they were saying. Now what's the platform number, said the boy's number. Nine and three quarters, piped a small girl, also red-headed, who was holding her hand. Mom, can't I go? You're not old enough, Guinea. Now be quiet. All right, Percy, you go first. What looked like the oldest boy marched toward the platform nine and ten, Harry watched, careful not to blink in case he missed it. But just as the boy reached the dividing barrier between the two platforms, a large crowd of tourists came swarming in front of him. And by the time the last backpack had cleared away, the boy had vanished. Fred, you next, the plump woman said. I'm not Fred, I'm George, said the boy. Honestly, woman, you call yourself our mother. Can't you tell I'm George? Sorry, George, dear. Only joking, I am Fred, said the boy. And off he went. His twin called after him to hurry. And he must have done so because a second later he had gone. But how had he done it? 
Now the third brother was walking briskly toward the barrier. He was almost there. And then quite suddenly, he wasn't anywhere. There was nothing else for it. Excuse me, Harry said to the plump woman. Hello, dear, said she said. First time in Hogwarts? Ron's new too. Thin and gangling with freckles, big hands and feet, and a long nose. Yes, said Harry. The thing is, the thing is, I don't know how to. How to get onto the platform, she said kindly, and Harry nodded. Not to worry, she said. All you have to do is walk straight at that barrier between platforms 9 and 10. Don't stop, and don't be scared you'll crash into it. That's very important. Best to do it a bit of a run if you're nervous. Go on now. Go now before Ron. Uh, okay, said Harry. He pushed his trolley around and stared at the barrier. It looked very solid. He started to walk toward it. People jostled him on their way to the platforms 9 and 10. Harry walked more quickly. He was going to smash right into that barrier and they need to be in trouble. Leaning forward on his cart, he broke into a heavy run. The barrier was coming nearer and nearer and he wouldn't be able to stop. The cart was way out of his control. He was a foot away. He closed his eyes ready for the crash. It didn't come, but he kept on running. He opened his eyes. A scarlet steam engine was waiting next to a platform packed with people. A sign overhead said Hogwarts Express, 11 o'clock. Harry looked behind him and he saw a wrought iron archway. where the barrier had been with the words platform nine and three quarters on it. He had done it. Smoke from the engine drifted over the heads of the chattering crowd while cats of every color wound here and there between their legs. Owls hooted to one another in a disgruntled sort of way over the babble of the scraping of heavy trunks. The first few carriages were already packed with students, some hanging out of the window to talk to their families, some fighting over seats. Harry pushed his cart off down the platform in search of an empty seat. He passed a round-faced boy who was saying, Gran, I've lost my toad again. Oh, Neville, he heard the old woman sigh. I, as soon as they said toad, I already knew that was Neville. That's so funny. A boy with dreadlocks was surrounded by a small crowd. Give us a look, Lee. Go on. The boy lifted the lid of a box in his arms, and the people around him shrieked and yelled as something inside poked out a long, hairy leg. Harry pressed on through the crowd until he found an empty compartment near the end of the train. He put Hedwig inside first and then started to shove and heave his trunk toward the train door. He tried to lift up the steps, but he could hardly raise one end. Twice it dropped it painfully on his feet. Want a hand? It was one of the red-haired twins he'd followed through the barrier. Yes, please, Harry panted. Oi, Fred, come here and help. With the twins' help, Harry's trunk was at last tucked away in a corner of the compartment. Thanks, said Harry, pushing his sweaty hair out of his eyes. What's that? said one of the twins suddenly, pointing at Harry's lightning scar. Blimey, said the other twin. Are you? Yes, said the first twin. Aren't you? He added to Harry. What? said Harry. Harry Potter, chorused the twins. Oh, him, said Harry. I mean, yes, I am. The two boys gawked at him, and Harry felt something turn. Harry felt himself turning red. Then, to his relief, a voice came floating in through the train's open door. Fred? George, are you there? Coming, Mum. With the last look at Harry, the twins hopped off the train. Harry sat down next to the window here, where, half hidden, he could watch the red-haired family on the platform and hear what they were saying. Their mother had just taken out a handkerchief. Ron, you've got something on your nose. The youngest boy tried to jerk out of the way, but he grabbed him and began running, <laughs> rubbing at the end of his nose. Mom, get off, he wriggled free. Ah, his ickle Ronnie got some fine ink on his nose. Got some fink. What is some fink? Is that the accent like saying something? Ah, 
Has Ickle Ronnie got something on his nose? Said one of the twins. Shut up, said Ron. Where's Percy? Said their mother. He's coming now. The oldest boy came striding into sight. He had already changed and he had already changed into his billowing black Hogwarts robe, and here he noticed a shiny red and gold badge on his chest with the letter P on it. Can't stay long, mother, he said. I'm up front. The prefects have got two compartments to themselves. Oh, are you a prefect, Percy? said one of the twins, with an air of great surprise. You should have said something. We had no idea. Hang on, I think I remember him saying something about it, said the other twin. Once or twice. A minute. All summer. Oh, shut up, said Percy the perfect. How come Percy gets new robes anyway, said one of the twins. Because he's a prefect, said the mother fondly. All right, dear. Well, have a good term. Send me an owl when you get there. She kissed Percy on the cheek and left, and then turned to the twins. Now, you two, this year, you behave yourselves. If I get one more owl telling me you've blown up a toilet or... Blown up a toilet? We've never blown up a toilet. Great idea, though. Thanks, Mom. It's not funny. And look after Ron. Don't worry. Ickle Ronnykins is safe with us. Shut up, said Ron again. He was almost as tall as the twins already, and his nose was still pink where his mother had rubbed it. Hey, Mom, guess what? Guess who we just met on the train? Harry leaned back suddenly so they couldn't see him looking. You know that black-haired boy who was nearest in the station? You know who he is? Who? Harry Potter. Harry heard the little girl's voice. Oh, Mom, can I go on the train and see him? Mom, oh, please. You've already seen him. Is it Guinea or Jenny? I think I'm going to just say Guinea. Guinea, and the poor boy isn't something you goggle at in the zoo. Is he really Fred? How do you know? Asked him. Saw his scar. It's really there, like lightning. Poor dear. No wonder he was alone. I wondered. He was ever so polite when he asked me how to get onto the platform. Never mind that. Do you think he remembers what you know who looks like? Their mother certainly became very stern. I forbid you to ask him, Fred. No, don't you dare. As though he needs reminding of that on his first day of school. All right, keep your hair on. A whistle sounded. Hurry up, their mother said as the three boys clambered onto the train. They leaned out of the window for her to kiss them goodbye and their youngest sister began to cry. Don't, Guinea. We'll send you a load of owls. We'll send you a Hogwarts toilet seat. George! Only joking, Mom. The train began to move. Harry saw the boy's mother waving and their sister, half laughing, half crying, running to keep up with the train until it gathered too much speed and she fell back and waved. Harry watched the girl and her mother disappear as the train rounded the corner. Houses flashed past the window. Harry felt a great leap of excitement. He didn't know what he was going to, but it had to be better than what he was leaving behind. The door of the compartment slid open and the youngest redhead came in. Anyone sitting there? He asked, pointing at the seat opposite Harry. Everywhere else was full. Harry shook his head and the boy sat down. He glanced at Harry and looked quickly out of the window, pretending he hadn't looked. Harry saw he still had a black mark on his nose. Hey, Ron, the twins are back. Listen, we're going down the middle of the train. Lee Jordan's got a giant tarantula down there. Oh, my God, that black boy got a big-ass tarantula. I would have been screaming, too. I was waiting. I was wondering if they was going to tell us what was in the box. Right, mumbled Ron. Harry, said the other twin, did we introduce ourselves? Fred and George Weasley, and this is Ron, our brother. See you later, then. Bye, said Harry and Ron. The twins slid the compartment door shut behind them. Are you really Harry Potter? Ron blurted out. Harry nodded. Oh, well, I thought it'd be my one of Fred and George's jokes, said Ron. And have you really got the, you know, he pointed at Harry's forehead. 
Harry pulled back his bangs to show the lightning scar. Ron stared. So that's where you know who? Yes, said Harry, but I can't remember it. Nothing, said Ron eagerly. Well, I remember a lot of green light, but nothing else. Wow, said Ron. He sat and stared at Harry for a few moments. Then, as though he had suddenly realized what he was doing, he looked quickly out of the window again. Are your family wizards? asked Harry, who found Ron just as interesting as Ron found him. Um, yes, I think so, said Ron. I don't think Mum's got a second cousin with an accountant, but we never talk about him. So you must know loads of magic already. The Weasleys were clearly one of those old visiting families the pale boy in Diagon Alley had talked about. I heard you went to live with the Muggles, said Ron. What are they like? Horrible. Well, not all of them. My aunt, uncle, and cousin are, though. Wish I'd had three wizard brothers. Five, said Ron. For some reason, he was looking gloomy. I'm the sixth in our family to go to Hogwarts. You could say I've got a lot to live up to. Bill and Charlie have already left. Bill was head boy and Charlie was captain of Quidditch. Now Percy's a prefect. Fred and George mess around a lot, but they still get really good marks and everyone thinks they're really funny. Everyone expects me to do as well as the others, but if I do, it's no big deal. Because they did it first. You never got anything new either with five brothers. I've got Bill's old robes, Charlie's old wand, and Percy's old rat. Oh my God, I forgot about this goddamn rat. Oh, that just pissed me off. Oh, that just pissed me off. I forget about this rat. Ron reached inside his pocket and pulled out a fat gray rat, which was asleep. His name's Scabus, and he's useless. He hardly ever wakes up. Percy got an owl from my dad for being made a prefect, but they couldn't if. I mean, I got Scabbers instead. Ron's ears went pink. He seemed to think he'd said too much because he went back to staring out of the window. Harry didn't think there was anything wrong with not being able to afford an owl. After all, he never had any money in his life until a month ago. And he told Ron so about having to wear Dudley's old clothes and never getting a proper birthday present. This seemed to cheer Ron up. And until Hagrid told me, I didn't know anything about being a wizard or about my parents or Voldemort. <gasps> Ron gasped. What? said Harry. You said you know whose name, said Ron, sounding both shocked and impressed. I'd have thought you, of all people, I'm not trying to be brave or anything, saying the name, said Harry. I just never knew you shouldn't. See what I mean? I've got loads to learn, I bet. He added, voicing for the first time something that had been worrying him a lot lately. I bet I'm the worst in class. You won't be. There's loads of people who come from muggle families, and they learn quick enough. While they had been talking, the train had carried them out of London. Now they were speeding fast. Now they were speeding past fields full of cows and sheep. They were quiet for a time, watching the fields and lanes flick past. Around half past twelve, there was a great clattering outside in the corridor, and a smiling, dimpled woman slid back their door and said, Anything off the cart, dears? Harry, who hadn't had any breakfast, leapt to his feet, but Ron's ears went peak again, and he muttered that he brought sandwiches. Harry went out into the corridor. Not me yawning. That is two yawns. He had never had any money for candy with the Dursleys. And now that he had pockets rattling with gold and silver, he was ready to buy as many Mars bars as he could carry. But the woman didn't have Mars bars. But what she did have were Bertie Bott's Every Flavor Beans, Drew Boo's Best Blowing Gum, Chocolate Frogs, Pumpkin Pasties, 
cauldron cakes, licorice wands, and a number of other strange things Harry had never seen in his life. Now, one thing that I said I was going to make when I sit down and do Harry Potter videos is going to be chocolate frogs. I literally already have the mold to make my own chocolate frogs. And I want to make pumpkin pasties. They didn't give a recipe, but I'm basically going to make like a sweet pumpkin pie filling, like a, a hand pie. Like how you can make like a single apple pie, like like a pumpkin apple apple like how you make a single apple pie turnovers hand pies whatever you want to call them like I was gonna do that but like with pumpkin those so so far there's literally only three Harry Potter foods that I would eat and they're so far they're all sweet that ice cream that Hagrid got them and then eat the pumpkin pasties and then chocolate frogs that bad <sighs> Yanni okay not wanting to miss anything, he got some of everything and paid the woman 11 silver sickles and seven bronze nuts. Ron stared as Harry brought it all back into the compartment and tipped it onto an empty seat. Hungry, are you? Starving, said Harry, taking a large bite of a pumpkin pasty. Is it pasty or pasty? I'm going to say pasty. Ron had taken out a lumpy package and unwrapped it. There were four sandwiches inside. He pulled one of them apart and said, she always forgets I don't like corned beef. Oh, my God. Y'all, if I was a meat eater, I would fuck up a corned beef sandwich. Are you kidding me? Corned beef is fucking delicious. Swap you for one of these, said Harry, holding up a paste pasty. Go on. That's one of my uh, favorite things that English people say. Go on. Go on. You don't want this. It's all dry, Ron said. She hasn't got much time, he added quickly. You know, with, with five of us. Um, not Ron being embarrassed of his lunch, his mama packed him. You know how many people wish their mama would pack them a sandwich? Go on, have a pasty, said Harry, who had never heard any who had never had anything to share before, or indeed anyone to share with. It was a nice feeling, sitting there with Ron, eating their way through all Harry's pasties, cakes and candies. The sandwiches lay forgotten. What are these? Harry asked Ron, holding up a pack of chocolate frogs. They're not really frogs, are they? He was starting to feel like nothing would surprise him. No, said Ron. But see what the card is. I'm missing Agrippa. Oh, that's a third yarn. Excuse me. What? Oh, of course you wouldn't know. Chocolate frogs have cards inside them, you know, to collect famous witches and wizards. I've got about 500, but I haven't got Agrippa or a Platomy. Platolomy. Harry unwrapped his frog and picked up the card. It showed a man's face. He wore half-moon glasses, had a long crooked nose and flowing silver hair, beard, and a mustache. Underneath the picture was the name Albus Dumbledore. So this is Dumbledore, said Harry. Don't tell me you've never heard of Dumbledore, said Ron. Can I have a frog? I might get a grippa. Thanks. Harry turned over his card and read, Albus Dumbledore, currently master of Hogwarts. I definitely just read that wrong. Albus Dumbledore, currently headmaster of Hogwarts. Considered by many the greatest wizard of modern times, Dumbledore is particularly famous for his defeat of the dark wizard Grindelwald in 1945 and for the discovery of the 12 uses of dragon's blood and his work on alchemy with his partner, Nicholas Flamel. Professor Dumbledore enjoys chamber music and tempin bowling. Harry turned the card back over and saw to his astonishment that Dumbledore's face had disappeared. He's gone. Well, you can't expect him to hang around all day, said Ron. He'll be back. No, I've got Morgana again, and I've got about six of her. Do you want it? You can start collecting. Ron's eyes strayed to the pile of chocolate frogs waiting to be unwrapped. Help yourself, said Harry. But in, you know, the muggle world, 
people just stay put in photos. Do they? What? They don't move at all? Ronald sounded amazed. Weird. Harry stared as Dumbledore slid back into the picture on his card and gave him a small smile. Ron was more interested in eating the frogs than looking at the famous witches and wizards cards, but Harry couldn't keep his eyes off them. Soon he had not only Dumbledore and Morgana, but Hengist of Woodcroft, Albert Grunion, Circe, Paracelsus, and Merlin. He finally tore his eyes away from the Judas Cle Cleodna, who was scratching her nose, and opened a bag of Bertie Bot's Every Flavor Beans. You want to be careful with those, Ron warned. When they say every flavor, they mean every flavor. You know, you get all the ordinary ones like chocolate and peppermint and marmalade. But then you get spinach and liver and tripe. George reckons he had a booger flavored one once. First of all, stop looking at my elbow. I accidentally pulled off my scab. Stop looking at it. Ron picked up a green bean, looked at it carefully, bit into it in the corner. Ron picked up a green bean, looked at it carefully, and bit into a corner. Ugh. See? Sprouts. They had a good time eating every flavor of beans. Harry got a toast, coconut, Baked bean, strawberry, curry, grass, coffee, sardine, and was even brave enough to nibble off the end of a funny gray one Ron wouldn't touch, which turned out to be Pepper. The countryside now flying past. Damn, when they gonna meet Hermione? Did she get on the train after the boys had ate all the snacks? The countryside now flying past the window was becoming wilder. The neat fields had gone. Now there were woods twisting rivers and dark green hills there was a knock on the door of their compartment and the round-faced boy harry had passed on platform nine and three quarters came in he looked tearful sorry he said but have you seen the toad at all when they shook their heads he wailed i've lost him he keeps getting away from me he'll turn up said harry yes said the boy miserably well if you see him he left don't know why he's so bothered said ron if I brought a toad, I'd lose it as quick as I could. Mind you, I bought scabbers, so I can't talk. The rat was still snoozing on Ron's lap. He might have died and wouldn't you know the difference. He might have died and you wouldn't know the difference, said Ron in disgust. I turned him I tried to turn him yellow yesterday to make him more interesting, but the spell didn't work. I'll show you. Look. He rummaged around in his trunk and pulled out a very battered looking wand. It was chipped in places and something white was glinting at the end. Unicorn hair is nearly poking out. Anyway, he had raised his wand when the compartment door slid open again. The toadless boy was back, but this time he had a girl with him. She was already wearing her new Hogwarts robe. Has anyone seen a toad? Neville's lost one, she said. She had a busy, so bossy sort of voice. Lots of bushy brow hairs. Lots of bushy brown hair and rather large front teeth. We've already told him we haven't seen it, said Ron, but the girl wasn't listening. She was looking at the wand in his hand. Oh, are you doing magic? Let's see it then. She sat down. Ron looked to take him back. Uh, all right. He cleared his throat. 
Sunshine daisies, buttermellow, turned this stupid fat rat yellow. He waved his wand, but nothing happened. Scabber stayed great and fast asleep. Are you sure that's a real spell? Said the girl. Well, it's not very good, is it? I've tried a few simple spells just for practice, and it's all worked for me. Nobody in my family's magic at all. It was ever such a surprise when I got my letter, but I was ever so pleased. Of course, I mean, it's the very best school of witchcraft there is. I've heard, I've learned all course books by heart, of course. I just hope it will be enough. I'm Hermione Granger, by the way. Who are you? She said all this very fast. Harry looked at Ron and was relieved to see his stunned face and that he hadn't learned all the course books by heart either. I'm Ron Weasley, Ron muttered. Harry Potter. Are you really? said Hermione. I know all about you. Of course, I got a few extra books for background reading and you're in modern magical history and the rise and fall of the dark arts and great wandering wizards events of the 20th century. Am I? said Harry, feeling dazed. Goodness, didn't you? I found out everything I could if it was me, said Hermione. Did either of you know what house you'll be in? I've been asking around and I hope I'm in Gryffindor. It sounds like by far it's the best. I heard Dumbledore himself was in it, but I suppose Ravenclaw wouldn't be bad. Anyway, better go off and look for Neville's toad. You two had better change, you know. I'll expect we'll be there soon. And she left, taking the toadless boy with her. Whatever house I'm in, I hope she's not in it, said Ron. He threw his hands back into his trunk. Stupid spell. George gave it to me. Bet he knew it would be a dud. What house are your brothers in, asked Harry. Gryffindor, said Ron. Gloomed. Seemed to be settling on him again. Mum and Dad were in it too. I don't know what they'll say if I'm not. I don't suppose Ravenclaw would be too bad, but imagine if they put me in Slytherin. But that's the house Volt. I mean, you know who was in. Yeah, said Ron. He flopped back into his seat, looking depressed. You know, I think the end of Scabber's whiskers are a bit lighter, he said. Said Harry, trying to take Ron's mind off the houses. So what do your oldest brothers do now that they've left anyway? Harry was wondering what a wizard did once he finished school. Charlie's in Romania studying dragons and Bill's in Africa doing something for Gringotts, said Ron. Did you hear about Gringotts? It's been all over the Daily Prophet, but I don't suppose you get that with the muggles. Someone tried to rob a high security vault. Harry stared. Really? What happened to them? Nothing. That's why it's such big news. They haven't been caught. My dad said it must have been a powerful dark wizard to get around Gringotts, but they don't think they took anything. That's what's odd. Of course, you know, everyone gets scared when something like this happens in case you know who's behind it. Harry turned this news over in his mind. He was starting to get a prickle of fear every time you know who was mentioned. He supposed this was all a part of entering the magical world, but it had been a lot more comfortable saying Voldemort without worrying. What's your Quidditch team, Ron asked. Um, I don't know any, Harry confessed. What? Ron looked dumbfounded. Oh, you wait. It's the best game in the world. And he was off, explaining all about the four balls and the position of the seven players, describing famous games he had been to with his brothers and the broomsticks he'd like to get if he had the money. He was just taking Harry's. He was just taking Harry through the finer points of the game when the compartment door slid open yet again. But it wasn't Neville the toadless boy or Hermione Granger this time. Three boys entered and Harry recognized the middle one at once. It was the pale boy from Madame Malkin's robe shop. Ah, oh, this is Malfoy, bitch ass. He has entered the chat. He was looking at Harry with a lot more interest that he's shown back in Diagon Alley. 
Is it true, he said. They're saying all down the train that Harry Potter's in this compartment. So, it's you, is it? Yes, said Harry. He was looking at the other boys. Both of them were thick-set and looked extremely mean. Standing on either side of the pale boy, they looked like bodyguards. Oh, this is Crab and this is Goyle, said the pale boy, carelessly noticing where Harry was looking. And my name's Malfoy, Draco Malfoy. Ryan gave a slight cough, <coughs> which might have been hiding a snicker. Draco Malfoy looked at him. Think my name's funny, do you? No need to ask who you are. My father told me all about the Weasleys. They have red hair, freckles, and more children than they can afford. He turned back to Harry. You'll soon find out some wizarding families are much better than others, Potter. You don't want to go making friends with the wrong sort. I can help you there. He held out his hand to shake Harry's, but Harry didn't take it. Boy, exactly, because fuck is you talking about? Going to come in here talking shit about Ron. Clearly him and Harry is cool. I think I can tell who the wrong sort is for myself, thanks, he said coolly. Draco Malfoy didn't go red, but a pink tinge appeared in his pale cheeks. I'd be careful if I were you, Potter, he said slowly. Unless you're a bit politer, you'll go the same way as your parents. <gasps> this child is so disrespectful. You came in there to his cart, bothering him, and going to bring up his dead mama and daddy. Oh, this child disrespectful. I don't even want to reread that part. They didn't know what was good for them either. You hang around with riffraff like the Weasleys and that Hagrid, and it'll rub off on you. Both Harry and Ron stood up. Say that again, Ron. See, the book, they getting more gangster in the book than they did in the movies because they did not do all this. Say that again, Ron said. His face is red as his hair. Oh, you're going to fight us, are you? Malfoy sneered. Unless you get out now, said Harry, more bravely than he felt because Crab and Goyle were a lot bigger than him or Ron. But we didn't feel like leaving. Do we, boys? We've eaten all our food and you still seem to have some. Goyle reached toward the chocolate frogs next to Ron. Ron leapt forward. Before he, mu he so much as touched Goyle, Goyle let out a horrible yell. Scabbers the rat was hanging off his finger. <laughs> That's what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> Come on, Scabbers. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Bite these hoes. This is what I'm talking about. That's what you get for bothering people. Scabbers the rat was hanging off his finger. Sharp little teeth sunk deep into Goyle's knuckle. Crab and Malfoy backed away as Goyle swung Scabbers round and round, howling. And when Scabbers finally flew off and hit the window, all three of them disappeared at once. Perhaps they thought there were mere rats lurking among the sweets. Or perhaps they'd heard footsteps, because a second later, Hermione Granger came in. What has been going on, she said, looking at all the sweets all over the floor and Ron picking up Scabbers by his tail. I think he's been knocked out. Ron said to Harry. He looked closer at Scabbers. No, I don't believe it. He's gone back to sleep. And so he had. You've met Malfoy before? Harry explained about their meeting in Diagon Alley. I've heard of his family, said Ron darkly. They're some of the first to come back to our side after you-know-who disappeared. Said they'd been bewitched. My dad doesn't believe it. He says Malfoy's father didn't even give an excuse to go over to the dark side. He turned to Hermione. Can we help you with something? You better hurry up and put your robes on. I've just been up to the front to ask the conductor, and he says we're nearly there. You haven't been fighting, have you? You'll be in trouble before we even get there. Scabbers has been fighting, not us, Ron said, scowling at her. Would you mind leaving while we change? 
All right. I only came in here because people outside were behaving very childishly, racing up and down the corridors, said Hermione in a sniffly voice. And you've got dirt on your nose, by the way. Did you know? Ron glared at her as she left. Harry peered out of the window. It was getting dark. He could see mountains and forests under a deep purple sky. The train did seem to be slowing. He and Ron took off their jackets and put on their long black robes. Ron's were a bit short for him. You could see his sneakers underneath them. A voice echoed through the train. We'll be reaching Hogwarts five minutes time. Please leave your luggage on the train and it will be taken to the school separately. Harry's stomach lurched with nerves as Ron. Harry's stomach lurched with nerves and Ron, he saw, looked pale under his freckles. They crammed their pockets with the last of the sweets and joined the crowd thronging in the corridor. The train slowed right down and finally stopped. People pushed their way toward the door and out to the tiny dark platform. Harry shivered in the cold night air. Then a lamp came bobbing over the heads of the students and Harry heard a familiar voice. First years, first years, come over here. All right, Harry. Hagrid's big hairy face beamed over the sea of heads. Come on, follow me. Any more first years? Mind your step now. First years, follow me. We all know that ain't Hagrid's voice, but that's all I got. Slipping and stumbling, they followed Hagrid down with what seemed to be a step, a steep, narrow path. It was so dark on either side of them that Harry thought there must be thick trees there. Nobody spoke much. Neville, the boy who kept losing his toad, sniffled once or twice. You'll get your first year sight of Hogwarts in a sec, Hagrid called over his shoulder. Just around this bend here. There was a loud, ooh. The narrow path had opened suddenly onto the edge of a gray back lake. Perched atop a high mountain on the other side, its windows sparkling in the starry sky, was a vast castle with many turrets and towers. No more than four to a boat, Hagrid called pointing to a fleet of little boats sitting in the water by the shore. Harry and Juan were followed into their boat by Neville and Hermione. It's getting dark. I can't even see this damn book. I was getting a nice sunlight coming through the window. I literally can't even see this shit. Hold on. There we go. Everyone in, shouted Hagrid, who had a boat to himself. Right then, Forward! And the fleet of little boats moved off all at once, gliding across the lake, which was as smooth as glass. Everyone was silent, staring up at the great castle overhead. It towered over them as they sailed nearer and nearer to the cliff on which it stood. Heads down, yelled Hagrid as the first boats reached the cliff. They all bent their heads and the little boats carried them through a curtain of ivy that hit a wide opening in the cliff face. They were carried along a dark tunnel which seemed to be taking them right underneath the castle until they reached a kind of underground harbor where they clambered out onto the rocks and pebbles. Oh, you there, is this your toad? Said Hagrid, who was checking the boats as people climbed out of them. Trevor, cried Neville blissfully, holding out his hand. Then they clambered up a passageway. They clambered up a passageway in the rock after Hagrid's lamp, coming out onto the last smooth, damp grass. Right? Uh-uh, I lost my place. They clambered up a passageway in the rock after Hagrid's lamp, coming out last onto smooth, damp grass right in the shadow of the castle. They walked up a flight of stone steps and crowded around the huge oak front door. Everyone here? You there, still got your toad? 
Hagrid raised a gigantic fist and knocked three times on the castle door. And that is the end of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone chapters five and six. That was good. Thoroughly enjoying reading Harry Potter and stay tuned for the next episode.